Chapter 8. Um, most of you have been here, and you know what we're doing here is we're, in these Wednesday nights is, and for some of you who hadn't been with us, what we're doing is we're saying and understanding that you and I have an obligation to share the gospel. And so with that in mind, he tells us in the very end of the gospel of Mark that we're to preach the gospel everywhere. But it's difficult for us to do that. It's hard at times to give out tracts. It's hard at times to to boldly go where others have gone before and to say, hey, listen, you need to be born again. But we're supposed to be doing that. And so what we're trying to do, never mind, I'm fine. Uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, okay, here's some tools that we need to work with. And one of the tools that we're trying to present for you to be able to use and become familiar with is a Bible study that you could use at home, that you could do with other college students, you could do with other couples from your neighborhood, some relatives, some friends, some others who live in your retirement community. And uh, what it is is a video series that also has workbooks that go along with it. Kip was just telling me that you're using it even in, in the Addiction Center uh, on the Friday mornings with some of the ladies. And so what I'm trying to do is just present this to you, and it's our atypical type of Bible study that we do on Wednesday nights instead of an expository book study. I just wanted you to become familiar with it, with the idea that let's pretend we're sitting in a living room and we're doing a Bible study. And we're up to lesson number four right now. And as we approach lesson number four, we might pose this question as we just sit around drinking coffee or whatever you want to drink, and we're trying to start the conversation, we might ask this question of the people around us. What are some of the popular ideas, some of the notions that people have about who Jesus is and why he came. And I'm not talking from our point of view that you and I already know the answers. What might be some of the answers that people who are unchurched might give when they say, well, Jesus was a, he's a good teacher, he's a good man. Other, other comments that they might make about Jesus. What's that? They say he was a prophet. Okay, there's a lot of groups that will say he's a prophet. Any other concepts, ideas? Some who are critical, might, might they say about Jesus? Uh, he what? He never existed. He's a non, non-historical figure, a made-up figure, a legendary figure. That's basically you know, like some of the legend or superheroes. Or some might say that Jesus was a victim of circumstances, that he was not totally in control. There's, a, there's that whole you know, rock opera, you know, Jesus Christ Superstar, that makes it look like Jesus and Judas were in, in confrontation over you know, a mix-up of ideas. So you have these different ideas that will come out, that people might say, well, he's a good man, he's an example setter, he was a social revolutionary, trying to turn the world upside down from a social point of view. He was a martyr, but he was somewhat misguided, or he's just playing a victim of other men's circumstances. Now Mark, if you look at Mark chapter 1, verse 1, he is saying, okay, from the beginning, I'm giving you the real story of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you what it was really like for him. And that gives you the whole, the summary of the whole life of Jesus Christ. And what he wants us to do in the Gospel of Mark is to identify accurately who Jesus is. And so what we talked about the last three times that we've met and, and discussed this Bible study ideas, we've looked and said, hey, wait a minute. What's clear in the Gospel of Mark is Jesus is presented as a unique individual. He could do things that nobody else could do. He could calm the waters. He's an individual who walked on the waters. He's an individual who healed diseases. And then he did the most incredible physical act. That is, he controlled life and death. And so you come to where Mark is trying to get us at. Mark is saying, here, think about who this Jesus is. He can control nature. He can control diseases and overcome them. He is one who has authority over life and death. Therefore, you've got to assume this man was 
far greater than even Superman. He had to be God because only God can do those things. And then on top of it, we looked last week in Mark how he gives the best thing, the most powerful, potent thing that Jesus could do when he told the story about how the men ripped up the roof, dropped their friend down through the roof, and Jesus is standing looking at the palsy man and he makes a comment about this man's sins. And the leaders all around him say, wait a minute, no man can forgive sins but God alone. That's true. That was a truism. But Jesus had made point, had made an observation. He said to this man, he says, you know, to your sins be forgiven and the Son of Man has power to forgive the sins. And to show that I have this power, he heals the man and demonstrates that Jesus has power over all the consequences of sin. He can heal. And again, Mark is emphasizing this idea that the good news about Jesus has to do that he is God. God come in the flesh. Now that's established. We've had Bible studies. We've talked about it. We've answered your questions already about Jesus being God come in the flesh. Now, here's the big question that we need to ask at this point. Jesus, who is God, came in the flesh, but why? Why did he do that? Did he come to set an example, to give us some philosophies? Was he misguided? Did he all of a sudden forget his deity at one point and get confused and have a personal identity crisis? Not true. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is very clearly quoted as saying, here's why I came. As a God-man, I came for this reason. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Do you remember the rest of this phrase? And to give his life a ransom for many. The word ransom is a payment. He is paying the debt that somebody would have as a slave so that they could go free. He is the idea of rescuing somebody. It has the idea of, you know, we know ransom. Somebody's kidnapped, somebody's held under bondage, and they're released from their captives. Yeah, and so he's saying, this is why I did this. I came as God-man not so people would laud me, not so people would, would minister to me. I came to minister. I came to serve other people. I came to give, to give my life so as to make payment for others. Now, this is not the only time he stated his mission. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus clearly in discussion with the disciples says, this is why I'm here. This is what I must be doing. And it occurs three times in the Gospel of Mark where he identifies why he came, what his purpose was. So let's go to Mark chapter 8. Let me pick up the story. We're going to read a larger section, and then we're going to back up and kind of dissect it. In Mark chapter 8, where he, we pick up the story in verse 22, and he comes to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the town, and when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw anything. If he's, what, what do you see? And he looked up and he said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put Jesus, put his hands again upon the blind man's eyes, and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man. What's your Bible say now? Okay, now it's, it's total 2020. And he sent him away to his house saying, Neither go into town, don't tell anyone in the town. Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the roadside, or by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist. Some said Elijah, and others said one of the prophets. But whom do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, You are the Christ. Jesus charged them that they should tell no man about him. 
And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for you savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. And then he goes on and makes other comments. Taking that passage, let's just walk through it for a moment. He heals this blind man outside or by Bethsaida. What is unusual in the healing? Anything that strikes you as odd in the healing that, that is recorded here? What's that? That he used a spit. Okay, that he used a spit. Do you know of any other time that he spat on people? Or used something like mud or spit or anything to heal somebody? Okay, there's only one other time it happened. Okay, just one other time that he did it. It's in Mark chapter 7. And so this is one of the two times that he used something else in the healing. Oh, by the way, just for your information, when people would do incantations, when they would say, uh, if, they were, if they were the, uh, uh, what do you call them, the, the Jewish exorcists, they would use spit. People who claim to be healers, they would use you know, different things at times. So what Jesus is doing is not you know, surprising to the people. They, this could be something that a holy man would use something of his own body to help bring it about. So he's, he didn't need to, but he chose to do it this way. What else strikes you as odd? Anything in this miracle? What's that, Jeremy? Yeah, all the other healings, as you remember from the last few weeks, most of the other healings are done in population centers or to the point that they can't even get in the population center. This seems to be a very private situation. He's taking them aside. And I think that that's, adds to what happens in the next paragraph. Lloyd, what were you saying? What else happens? Okay, same thing. Okay. Anything else strikes you out about this healing? It's a two-step process. It's a two-step process where Jesus, you know, heals, but he doesn't see clearly. Then he heals and he sees clearly. How many other times does that happen? Can you think of any other miracle where it didn't, it wasn't instantaneous, full recovery or full abilities? The reason you can't think of another one is because there isn't one. This is the only time it's recorded in the scriptures. Now, there are some people who immediately respond and say, this is a doubtful miracle. This is a miracle that shouldn't be in there. And we think that maybe Mark put in something he shouldn't have put in. Because, because it seems to be saying that Jesus was yeah, losing a little bit of his steam. Maybe he was getting tired out and it wasn't full. And it casts a little bit of doubt upon Jesus. Now that comes from a skeptical spirit. I think just the opposite. I think that by the very fact that he puts this in where it is so abnormal that some might say, what's going on here, is proof that this is something that they aren't exaggerating. Because if they were making up this story, they wouldn't do it in a two-step process, right? If you were making up the story, you would make sure that every time it was what? A total, complete, instantaneous miracle. And so there's a very clear purpose. It's a true account, and he very clearly has it designed at this moment. And by the way, other things that you may not catch unless you start doing a whole lot more Bible reading, but Mark's the only one to record it. 
It is only Mark that records this miracle. As well, uh, we, Jeremy, what you mentioned, what is somebody else said about the spittle, the two-stage process, okay, and then the full restoration. This is a very unique situation. Why did it happen in a two-stage process? That is really critical for us to figure it out. And as we go through the story and look at it, man, there's just, it, it just stands out that there's got to be something in the Gospel of Mark and in the paragraph around it that explains it. And the paragraph that I read you makes it very clear why this miracle is done at this moment and showing and illustrating via the miracle something that happens in the next paragraph. Because what happens is right after this, as we read, Jesus and the disciples start traveling away. They're going away. They're, they're separating from the crowds. They're moving apart from the crowds, just like Jesus had moved the blind man apart from the crowds. And as they're going down the road, Jesus asks the question, Whom do men say that I am? And their response, you were, we already read it, was, Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're... And why would they even think that? Why would they think Elijah? Why would, why would they say, well, remember, there's you know, one like Elijah was predicted to come again. That in the spirit of Elijah, John the Baptist is off the scene by this point. You know, and so they say you're one of the other prophets. And so they quote the popular ideas that are circulating amongst the Jews about Jesus. Then your Bible says he asks them a second question. What's the second question he asks? Whom do you say? Now, just for your information, the way this is laid out in the original language... You is at the beginning of the phrase. And when you do that in the original language, when you put you at the beginning, they do it for a reason. It's emphatic. You, whom do you say that I am? And Jesus is driving a point. I want to hear what you guys have to say. What do you believe? Because this was so important to him to find out what his disciples were believing. Now, he knew it, but he wants them to make some type of confession. And so who obviously speaks up for the group? Surprise, surprise. Okay, Peter is going to be the spokesman. And Peter opens up his mouth. He speaks up. And he says, you are the Messiah. You're the Christ. Okay, and understand, for if you're not familiar with the Bible, Christ and Messiah are the same thing, but in two different languages, Greek and Hebrew. And so it's the same type of idea. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the promised one. And Peter makes that comment. And Jesus, what, what does Jesus say in response to this? Is there a comment like, well done, Peter, you got an A on today's quiz. Does he say that to him at all? No. What does he, what does he say to him? He, do, he doesn't confirm it, and he doesn't deny it, but he says, Peter, and the rest of you, don't tell anyone. Now, doesn't that strike you as odd? Because he's already sent them out to preach before, in twos and as numbers. Why is he saying at this moment... Don't tell anybody. By the way, is this commandment a lasting commandment? Don't tell anyone? No. Because later on, what does he tell them to do? Go ye and preach the gospel to the whole world. So he's saying to them, at this moment he is saying, don't tell any men, anybody about me right now. Don't say anything more right now. Because, you know, you don't see everything clearly yet. You don't, you're, you're like the man I just healed. You have some insights, but you don't have it all. You, you haven't put it all together yet. And he goes on, he makes these comments. He tells them, as he, as he talks about his mission, he says in verse 31, an important thought, where he say he began to teach. You see, the key word is he's beginning to teach them. Okay, this isn't the only time he's going to bring this up. 
And um, I'm not sure what words you, uh, in, your, in your translation you have, but mine reads, he began to teach them that the Son of Man... Okay, I have must in there. Do you have a must in your, in your Bible? Okay, which means... Okay, this is, this is an important uh, action he's talking about. This isn't an optional thing. The Son of Man, this is his mission. He must. He has to. Okay, and he goes on and describes what that is. Okay, and so Jesus said he must suffer. And he describes that suffering. It's going to come from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes. Who, who do you think he's talking about? Who's the elders, chief priests, and scribes? The religious leaders, okay. Um, and he's going to be rejected. He's going to be killed. And what else happens? He's going to rise again. Okay, he makes it very clear. I'm going to rise again. Okay, so you think about it for a moment. I give you one idea. Okay, it's obvious Jesus knows perfectly what's going to happen in the future. What else do you, does this tell us about Jesus? Anything else strikes you? From his statement, the Son of Man, which is a reference to himself... Okay, must suffer, must be rejected, he must be killed, he must rise again. How, how do you figure that? Okay, is he intimidated by what's going to take place? Okay, if you knew somebody was attacking you and you knew who they were, what might you do? What do we do as a nation if we know that there's a trouble from somebody? We call it what kind of strikes? Preemptive plan, a preemptive strike. Okay, Jesus knows who it is, but he doesn't take any action against him. What does that tell you? Not only is he in control, okay? He's de- okay. What does it tell you about his spirit, his, his volition? He's willing. Doesn't it indicate his willingness? That he, he's already displayed power, has he not? He has power over life and death. He has power over storms. If he wasn't willing to let them do this, what might he bring upon the Jewish leaders? How about a tornado? How about an earthquake? How about a plague? How about just a disease? How about just hold their breath at night? He is totally willing to let this happen. Okay, we, we could write down several things, okay, that he's willing. Now, most of us, you know, we might be willing to do something, but suffering, the rejection and death, he's totally willing. He knows who is guilty of causing him pain, but he doesn't seek any preventive measures or preemptive measures is probably the better term. We know as well that he says, and this is a key word here, the day that shows up in the original language, it is a must be done. This is an absolute necessity. His death, therefore, is no mistake. Things didn't get out of hand. Now, there are some people who are going to say, oh, he, he, uh, he, he lost control. He doesn't lose control. I think that's where you had said, Lou, that the idea of total control. He knows this happens to happen. This is, this is not an accident. This is not a, you know, uh, oh, man, I was, I was hoping to keep the car on the road and I lost control. This isn't like this at all. You know, this situation, he is in total control. There is no other alternative. This must be the way that I have to do this. It's an absolute, you know, singular responsibility given to God by God Almighty. He knows he's going to rise again. He knows the date. And, I'm, and if I'm going to sum this all up, what does this tell you and me about Jesus 
and us. What he thinks of us. Tie this together with, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. What does this tell you about his attitude towards us? He loves us. He cares for us. He knows all this. He is willing to give his life to sacrifice everything for us. Peter rebukes him. Now think about that. Peter rebuking Jesus. How foolish. Okay, but be that, you know, you know we, we could pause and say, okay, Peter rebukes Jesus and say, you can't do this. You can't go to Jerusalem. You can't die. Why would Peter even say that to Jesus? What does that tell you about Peter besides he's brazen? Anything positive about Peter? He loves him. What's that? He doesn't want to lose Jesus. Any other motivations behind Peter's comments? Fear? You think he's fearful of what could happen to him? What'd you say? He's later on, he's willing to fight for Jesus. I mean, from Peter's perspective, has Peter given up a lot from his perspective? Has he given up a lot already to follow Jesus? Yeah, he's given up his business. He's, you know, going through this. You could, he loved Jesus. That's obvious. He's a Jew. He wants the Romans to be gone. This is a hope of getting rid of the Romans. Okay? By the way, they've got, they've got the crowds are on their side. Up to this point, everybody's cheering Jesus. Yeah, we've got a good thing going. Let's not, let's not stop what we'd be saying, business or anything else. Let's keep the what going. Keep the momentum going. Oh, what do you mean you're going to go and break it up by going into some problems? You know, besides, if, he's, if Peter has a heart for other people, a lot of people are being helped right about now, right? There's a lot of diseased people who are getting free medical care that lasts. This is a good thing. This is not a bad thing. You know, and he's given up a lot. So he rebukes Jesus, and Jesus turns around and makes that statement that you and I hear all about, that get behind me, Satan. And from that, Jesus, without hesitation, turns on him, makes the comment, and very pointed. Now remember this. What Peter is doing, and the reason that he's tied to Satan, is Satan, at the temptation in the wilderness, had said, Jesus, take the shortcut and get to glory, Right? you bow down to me, I will give you... Yeah, and so Satan has that idea of let's veer Jesus off from his main purpose, his main mission, but he can get to, he can get to heaven either way. So let's just, let's just you know, get you to heaven without the cost of your life. And Jesus responds says, Peter, what you're suggesting is something that's out of hell. I came, I must, remember the must, I must suffer, be, be rejected, suffer, be killed, and I must then rise again after I'm dead. So our point is, this, you know, just, we wanted to just think about this as if this is a new believers, and, and not all of us were, were uh, born, uh, none of us were saved, but uh, I want to say it backwards. None of us were lost, but we're all just baby believers. I'd emphasize this point at the, in the story is that people of good quality and with good intent can promote something wrong. Be careful. Be careful. You're going by the will of God. But then Jesus makes the concluding statement to Peter, which is a contrast that he makes. There is two ways of looking at things. Things of God, things of men. Peter, what you're saying sounds great and wonderful and nice and comfortable, but it's the things of men. This is the thing of God. The thing of God is the mission that God has sent me on. God has told me 
that I must come and give my life a ransom for many by dying on the cross. That's his mission. Okay, let's, let's do a little bit of the video clip. Take some notes here as you go along. The, the different people there at the crucifixion and how there's parallels with us and some of them whether it be the soldiers, whether it be, as was mentioned, the religious leaders, the self-righteous ones, or, or maybe the comparison is Pontius Pilate, who is motivated, who is captivated, who is fearful of the crowds. Or maybe it's that last one, the centurion, who really gets a glimpse of who Jesus is. The question you have to ask yourself is, which one of them are you most like? I would conclude my Bible study talking to the individuals and saying, you fall into one of these categories. You know, you can change that by asking Christ to be your Savior now. Even though there's a couple more lessons to come, I wouldn't wait if somebody wants to get saved. Let them get saved. Lead them through in the Lord's Prayer. But for us here tonight, what we want to do is we want to remind ourselves that, one, these Bible studies are something that are not complicated that you can do. With some of these helps, some of the notes you have in front of you, you can conduct them. Number two, the other thing we need to do is we need to pray for the salvation of souls. Let's take the remainder of our time until 8.15. The kids have their ministries. We'll have our prayer time. You can pray by yourself with somebody else. And if you're going to visit, visit out in the foyer in that area. But the kids are going to go until 8.15, so that gives you about 12 more minutes to just have that focused prayer time on some of the requests given or for your friends, your relatives that aren't saved. Let's go to